Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to The Dose. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Today, airborne transmission of the coronavirus. What you need to know to protect yourself and others. Hi, Michael. Welcome to The Dose. Hi. Thanks for having me. What's the weather like in Vancouver today? It's a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, Not too warm, so just, just as we like it. My name is Michael Brower, and I'm a professor in the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia. And I work on the linkages between our environments that we live in and and human health, and have worked a lot on air quality and things in the air and how they affect our health. And how many particles of COVID do you think you've breathed in so far today? Um, I've actually got right up and went right to work and I'm working from home. So I think I'm actually pretty clear today, but uh, certainly later in the day, I I guess I'll probably be exposed to some. Can't wait to hear more about that. So let's get right to our conversation. Last week, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention finally updated its COVID guidance to say the virus is airborne and can be transmitted beyond six feet. The WHO did the same thing last month. So first of all, explain what that means. How is the virus airborne? So when we breathe, um, if we're infected with that virus, um, we're actually breathing out that virus. What we're learning from COVID and what what really the realization is, is that um, most of the um, transmission, it's not by coughing or sneezing in somebody's face. It's just sort of our normal um, speaking uh, if, we're, if we're singing. So we have incidents where people are singing and that seems to have led to some super spreading events. So just all these particles are going off into the air and these particles are quite small. Um, they can remain suspended in the air for minutes to hours. So if these particles are not diluted with fresh air, somebody who's breathing in these particles could become infected. And that's really why we see the difference between being indoors and outdoors. So outdoors, even though we're still breathing out these particles, they get diluted very quickly because of all the air that's surrounding us. Uh, The Public Health Agency of Canada and Health Canada haven't updated their guidelines in keeping with with, uh, the CDC and the WHO? So I think there's been some sort of partial (laughs) uh, updating. (laughs) And and the reason why is this sort of term airborne is a loaded term in the infectious disease community. And I'll give you the example of two types of infections, types of diseases that actually people are quite familiar with. One is chickenpox, one is measles, which are kind of classically known to be spread uh, airborne. People have heard about this R number, so this sort of uh, infection number. Um, For chickenpox, it's around 10 to 12, meaning that every person who is infected could infect sort of 10 to 12 other people they come in contact with. For measles, it's even higher, 12 to 18. So the idea is if you walk into a room and you're infected with measles, uh, you can infect everybody else very quickly. 
for COVID, the number is much lower. It's probably somewhere around three for the flu. It's even less than that, maybe 1.5, something like that. So what's happened is, is when, you, when you hear that word airborne in the infectious disease community, instantly people think about measles and chickenpox. So I think that's been part of the, the confusion. It doesn't mean actually that COVID isn't transmitted by air, but when that term airborne is applied to it, um, it means a whole bunch of actions and protections um, have to be put in place. Uh, there's been a lot of hesitancy in the medical community and, and especially from infectious disease experts to put this label on it because of what it means. But because of that, I think we've also um, not treated this in, in the optimal way in terms of what we can actually do uh, societally or as individuals to protect ourselves. Yikes, yikes, and yikes. So this is the one, this is one area where you actually can be partially pregnant. <laughs> you know, that's what you're saying that, you know, you're either pregnant or you're not, you're, it's either airborne or not. No, what you're saying is that there's an in-between with some serious implications for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and some public health officials have always said that there is a continuum of the sizes of particles and, and what does that mean? What I don't think has happened is that we've really understood that actually most of the transmission is not by coughing and sneezing. It's not actually by touching surfaces, but really just these very small particles in the air. What does that actually mean for actions? Some of the things that we've been told uh, work. So for example, distance works, but it doesn't work actually for the reasons that we thought it was working or, or the reasons we were told it was working. The reasons we were told initially was keep that distance because most of these uh, particles or these large, larger particles like a cough particle or a sneezing particle is so heavy then it'll settle out of the air within that six feet. But actually the reason that distance works is you have more distance, actually more ability for the air around you to dilute those smaller particles uh, that, that you're breathing out. So that one we got lucky on. But then for example, surfaces, we really have very little evidence at all that, uh, that surface contact is, is a cause for, for infection. So we put a lot, especially early on, but I still see it continuing today, we put a lot of emphasis on cleaning of surfaces and not enough on things like just telling people to open windows if they can, or in a building with a mechanical ventilation system, making sure that system is operating optimally for uh, providing as much fresh air as possible. What are the mask realities in light of the fact that, that there's a significant degree of airborne transmission of COVID? So really masks mostly work by it's, it's me wearing a mask to protect you and protect the people around me rather than me wearing a mask to protect myself. So I need to rely on everybody else to wear a mask. And that's because when, we, when we're breathing out, when we're exhaling these particles, um, because they're humidified, so they're coated with this water droplet, actually masks are very effective then at, at blocking those particles. If we're not wearing a mask, as they get into the air, they become smaller, and then masks are less effective. It's all about just having as many people as possible wearing masks, much less so than the quality of the mask that you're wearing. Now, if you want to protect yourself, so if you happen to be in contact with people who are not wearing masks or in a very uh, small enclosed indoor space, or for example, a healthcare worker, 
then you really need the higher quality mask, the N95 mask, because those do protect you. So knowing that the virus is spread by aerosols in the air, what's the key thing or things that you think we need to do to mitigate the risk of transmission? If we can do things outdoors, again, more dilution, but then when we do have to be indoors, we should be trying to make the indoors like the outdoors, meaning trying to get as much fresh air into that indoor space uh, as possible. That's challenging depending on the outdoor temperature. So that's the challenge is because if we're bringing in 100% fresh air, we need to condition it to those environments. So the worst example would be opening up all your windows in your home when it's minus 40 outside. It's not very pleasant. So then we have to, we have to make trade-offs and we can try and do that with, uh, in an office building or a school that has a mechanical ventilation system, but there's an energy cost. I would say that's a cost actually worth paying if we're um, trying to protect people from uh, getting infected. So uh, we may be thinking, we should be thinking about changing the amount of fresh air that we bring into our spaces, even if there's an energy cost for the time being, especially places like, uh, like workplaces or schools where we know that, that people are mixing. We're going to pause here for a short break, and we'll be right back. I want to ask you, you've already mentioned distancing, and, and everybody has it burned into their brains, uh, six feet, two meter distancing. Is that good enough? So nothing is ever 100% safe uh, with this. So these particles, they remain suspended in the air for minutes to hours, meaning that if somebody walks into the room and is infected, those particles will be spreading everywhere throughout the room. But if you're closer to them, you are more likely to come in contact with more of those particles. So it is a continuum. We know that this sort of distance is effective, but it's not a, it's not a bright line in that, uh, you know, six feet, you're absolutely safe. Anything within six feet, you're absolutely at, at high risk. It really is, is a, a continuum. So we've talked the right things in, in thinking airborne, ventilation, distance, masks. What are some of the things that we're doing now that really aren't helping at all in terms of reducing transmission of COVID? So one of the things that really gets me, and this is understandable uh, a year ago, but I still see it continuing today, and there really hasn't been very clear messaging on this, is all the cleaning of surfaces. And now for most people, so if I'm going into a store, the fact that those surfaces are clean, that, that's really no harm to me. But it is harm to the employees that have to do that repeatedly, um, hour after hour after hour. They're being exposed to these cleaning agents, which we know actually can cause respiratory disease after repeated exposure. And I've even heard of the same kind of practice, uh, kids in schools actually being taught to clean their own surfaces. So now you actually have children who we know are more susceptible to developing respiratory disease, being exposed to cleaning agents that probably isn't doing any good at all in terms of, of uh, COVID transmission and could be doing some harm. So that's probably the most important thing. The other thing that, again, we saw early on um, was businesses actually spending lots of money on plexiglass barriers, especially plexiglass barriers that were really just this sort of separation, but didn't actually seal off a space. So uh, a restaurant where you had booths or tables where you had plexiglass in between them, maybe it gives you a sense of security, but it's really not doing anything because 
those particles that people are exhaling are going around and above that plexiglass and circulating now throughout the room. Isn't it, isn't it disinfection theater or protection theater? Yes, ab- absolutely. What I would like to see is that in, in, if uh, establishments are going to spend money to increase the, the safety, um, that that be directed towards ventilation, whether that means uh, actually having more windows, opening more windows, keeping an eye on that, or if you have a mechanical ventilation system, making sure it's working effectively, retuning it a little bit so that it's bringing in more fresh air, or perhaps even depending on the space, using filtration. So you can put in filters that will also remove the particles uh, if they're circulating in the air. So what we tend to do in our buildings that are um, mechanically ventilated is we um, bring in a portion of the air that's fresh and there's a portion that's recirculated. And the reason that we do that is that saves us the energy costs of repeatedly heating or cooling that outside air. Um, So we take some air that's already been heated or cooled to the temperature that we want it and then we just recirculate it, which is mixing. um, And that does provide some dilution. But if there's particles that people have exhaled and COVID containing particles that people have exhaled, those are now circulating uh, through the space. Uh, you were talking about uh, the, the amount of time and effort that's been put into uh, disinfecting surfaces. And I'm reminded of the fact that you like to swim. Yeah, that's right. And that's just one of the examples. And uh, I've been really fortunate throughout the, the pandemic that our local pools have remained open with a lot of restrictions, but they are spaces that generally have very good ventilation and they they're, have quite high ceilings and there's a lot of fresh air. But I still see uh, the, the pool employees disinfecting after every swim. So there's this issue that my concern for their own health and safety having to do this just the amount of chemicals that are being used and those chemicals eventually get into the environment. And again, really not uh, doing anything in terms of reducing the risk of, of COVID transmission. You know, we're hearing a lot about variants of concern, P1, uh, B117. Uh, How much more of a risk are they uh, when you think about airborne transmission of COVID? So with these new variants, the the transmission is the same. We have no evidence that the sort of the the dynamics of the transmission, these particles are, you know, staying in the air longer because they're a variant or anything like that. So all of the basic dynamics are exactly the same. What is different or seems to be different is that you can be infected um, with less exposure. So where six feet may have been quite effective, A year ago, maybe it's not effective anymore, uh, where having a short interaction with somebody, one or two minutes, speaking outdoors with somebody, even in close contact without masks, may have been fine a year ago. Maybe it's no longer fine uh, anymore. So it, it really means just being more diligent about all of those same uh, things that we've been we've been saying and and have have said uh, earlier. So masks distancing, uh, spending time outdoors, and, and ventilation. Um, and the, the analogy or sort of the point to make about this, and, and, and this is, for me, this is actually comforting, but I think for many people it's going to be alarming. We have probably all been exposed to these COVID-containing particles. Just thinking about the, the contacts that we have on a daily basis, and how many particles we breathe in and out every day. 
Um, but it's not as though you just being exposed to one will lead to an infection. I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be stuck on the idea that they've probably inhaled some particles of COVID without even knowing it. Wow, that, that, that's pretty amazing to know. Last question I want to ask you, I think some people listening to this, maybe a lot of people listening to our conversation might be surprised to hear that some of the stuff like disinfecting surfaces, using plexiglass barriers aren't that useful. So how would you like to see the messaging from officials change? I, I, I do. I am sensitive to the challenges of this um, uh, from public health officials and, and from the government. The, we're learning more about this virus all the time. And um, the situation is dynamic, which is very challenging, not just for uh, officials, it's also challenging for the public. And you don't want to change the messaging every day. That just confuses people. But we are at a point now where I, I think we really have quite convincing evidence uh, that this airborne transmission is the primary route of transmission. And we need to emphasize the things that we know work for that and probably slowly and maybe quietly <laughs> emphasize or de-emphasize um, the things that we know really aren't that, that effective. And that would be cleaning of surfaces um, and the plexiglass, especially those uh, actions where we think there may actually be some kind of a risk. And that's really where the, the cleaning of surfaces uh, comes into play, that I just get concerned that we have more and more people exposed to these cleaning agents um, and really sort of un unnecessarily. So more emphasis on fresh air ventilation, and this is going to be critically important as more and more people um, go back to work. And, uh, and we do expect and hope uh, to see that in, in, in the coming months and, and throughout the, the coming year. So ventilation, which could be just as simple as opening windows whenever it's comfortable to do so, and when it's not comfortable to do so, then making sure that you're adhering to distance, mask wearing, um, and if you have it, a mechanical ventilation system that, that is operating effectively. Michael Brower, your comments were a breath of fresh air. No pun intended. I'm a dad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for speaking with us. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Michael Brower is a professor in the School of Population and Public Health at UBC. Here's your dose of smart advice. COVID-19 has airborne transmission. That means small particles of the virus circulate in the air for minutes and even hours when the air doesn't circulate, especially indoors. That means there should be far greater emphasis on anything that increases ventilation indoors, including more open windows. Airborne transmission means physical distancing is still really important. Indoors, two meters may not be enough. The farther apart you are from others, the better. Masks are also very important. To protect others, wear a three-layer mask. For optimal protection from others who aren't wearing them and may be infected, use an N95 or KN95 mask indoors. There is little point cleaning surfaces every hour or putting up plexiglass barriers because neither has any impact on airborne transmission. As for B117, P1 and other variants of concern, if anything, they make airborne transmission more likely. If you have topics or questions for The Dose, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Find The Dose and Whitecoat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. 
This episode of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.